Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. What do we do when we feel shame? Because we're failing at shame resilience. Shame, our shame, that's what I used to do. Asking myself how I could be so broken that I couldn't even do shame resilience right. But then I learned about the neurobiology of toxic shame and things began to change for me. Whether you're curious to learn more about toxic shame for yourself or your clients or your child, I can promise you that there is nothing wrong with you. I'm Robin Goble, 
And this is the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate it for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. This is episode 26, and today we're exploring what's underneath toxic shame. I started this podcast 26 episodes ago to get free accessible support to you as fast as possible. So that means that this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll even hear a cockadoo in the background, cockadoodle-doo in the background, which people have been writing in to tell me how much they love that. It's actually not really cockadoodle-doo time as I'm recording this specific episode, but you never know. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you. And there are a lot. Once upon a time, nobody had ever heard the name Dr. Brené Brown. I hadn't. I stumbled upon Dr. Brown's work the same way a lot of folks did, and that I caught her TED Talk on shame and vulnerability. It's one of the most viewed TED Talks basically ever. And after catching that TED Talk, I devoured what at the time was, I think, the only book she even had out, The Gifts of Imperfection. I was curious about Dr. Brown's work. We were Texans, although I don't know if I really ever earned the right to be called like a Texan. I lived there for 15 years, um, but I didn't grow up there. And Texans are pretty, uh, pretty, oh man, what's the word? They have a lot of feelings about being Texan. So I don't know, after 15 years, do I get to call myself a Texan? But Dr. Brown is a professor of social work at the University of Houston and roots in Texas. And certainly I felt a connection to her with our Texas social worker connections. And I loved The Gifts of Imperfection. I thought that book was wonderful. I thought it was lovely. I mean, I was, I was hooked on her work. I even took an online course of, you know, based on the gifts of imperfection. And it's kind of funny looking back, it might've been one of the first online courses I ever took, which I hadn't really thought about before right now. Uh, just interesting to see how the life has evolved so much. And now I've taken so many online courses and of course even made my own, but yes, I think the gifts of imperfection might've been the first online course I ever took. Again, I loved it. I loved what she was saying. I loved her concepts. I loved the bravery. I loved her storytelling 
I honestly was pretty intoxicated about shame, resilience, and vulnerability. I mean, the research was solid and that matters to me. I like that she was, is really serious. Dr. Brown is really serious about the research that she does. And I understand enough about this kind of research that I was exceptionally curious about the kind of research that she was doing and it was solid. And I was just totally on board with the ideas of vulnerability for shame resilience. Right. But Here's the thing. I mean, no matter how hard I tried, shame resilience tools and all of the tools that Dr. Brown was talking about in each of her chapters in that book, The Gifts of Imperfection, you know, they weren't making even the tiniest dents in what felt to me like really debilitating experiences of shame. Shame, well, honestly, more accurately, it's the attempts to avoid feelings of shame kind of dictated my life back then in ways I wasn't really even aware of. I've had to really step away from that to get perspective and how shame just was ruling my life in in big ways and in small ways. And it really wasn't until many, many years later that I began to truly get a, a felt sense at how shame had, I mean, kind of kept me in like a headlock. I created an entire life around desperately trying to avoid feeling shame. And no, giving voice to it wasn't making a darn bit of difference. And then, and so I was, you know, reading Dr. Brown's work and I was, I've heard her speak and actually that was wonderful. And, you know, I'd hear these stories about other people, you know, finding relief through using the tools that she was talking about. And honestly, this left me mostly just feeling mad. Uh, I was mad at Dr. Brown. I remember speaking some unkind words about her to my therapist, probably on more than one occasion. Right. And it's, it's interesting to look back. I mean, I'm obviously a big fan, right. Of things like courage, compassion, and authenticity, gratitude, joy, play. I mean, these are all the things that Dr. Brown writes about in the gifts of imperfection. In fact, as I was prepping to record this episode, I went and looked at my Kindle version of this book and it's basically all highlighted, like all of it. It's one of those books where it's just like, why am I even highlighting? Because I'm highlighting every single sentence. I mean, I also own the book on audio. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. 
here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. Here's what I thought I had learned from Dr. Brené's Brown, Brené Brown's work on shame resilience, that I couldn't even do shame resilience right. I actually felt more shame. What I didn't know then, and thankfully what I do know now is that there's shame and then there's what I'm calling, and I'm not the only one who calls this this, I didn't, I didn't make this up, toxic shame, right? And again, this isn't some kind of competition about whose shame is worse or most intense. That's not it at all for me. But beginning to truly understand the neurobiology of toxic shame and how this did differ slightly from the shame that at least what I was hearing Dr. Brown talk about, especially in those early, early days of her career. So y'all, I mean, this was a really long time ago. Um, I mean, probably 10 years. I didn't look at the copyright on Gifts of Imperfection, but my memory is I read that book 10 years ago, at least 10, 11, maybe. So, and, and also I'm very much owning the fact that what I received from the books, the message I heard, what landed on me, what I took away from it might not have been at all what Dr. Brown was trying to express. It might not have been at all what she even wrote. I'm extremely familiar with the truth that often what you think you're teaching people or what you think you're saying to people or what you think the message is that you're conveying to people is not at all the message that they're hearing or receiving. And so I am totally owning the fact that it's very possible that that's true for me. In this case, that what is really being offered up in the gifts of imperfection is nothing at all about what I was, you know, receiving. All I know is that I got, a, you know, familiar with shame resilience tools. And at first I was really excited about it. Like, oh my gosh, finally something that maybe could be helpful. And ultimately was extremely let down, extremely disappointed, and then did exactly what shame does, which is blamed that completely on myself. So beginning to understand the neurobiology of toxic shame helped me finally begin to realize that there is absolutely nothing wrong with me, with me, or honestly with anyone else, which y'all hear me say over and over and over again. And you know, I believe down in my very, very core, but it's taken me a long time to like really believe that that also applied to me. Now I'm, I'm one of those people who really needs to understand the why behind things. If you're going to tell me to do something that's good for me, 
I'm going to go searching for why it's good. Like, how do you know that that's good? What does the data say? So understanding that the reason I seemed to be failing at shamed resilience was a legitimate reason with good science really mattered to me. So understanding the neurobiology of toxic shame and really diving in to, gosh, the first person who comes to mind for me is Dr. Dan Siegel's work, but then beginning to understand the autonomic nervous system and the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system and the dorsal vagal branch of the autonomic nervous system and the way that Bonnie Badenoch really helped me to integrate all of these concepts, beginning to truly start to understand the neurobiology of toxic shame started to give me enough of a foothold that I could begin to make some changes in my relationship to this experience of toxic shame. So understanding the neurobiology just understanding the science, like, like the origins of it, what's the neurobiological mechanism of the body-based physiological experience that we humans commonly label shame. And then why is it so sticky? Like, why is it so hard to untangle from it, right? Understanding the whys isn't the whole story by any means, right? It's not like all of a sudden I, you know, I acquired all this fantastic science and, and what I'll call like left brain information about the neural mechanisms of toxic shame. And then poof, it was all gone. That wasn't it at all, but it was an important part of it. It's an important part of the story. Beginning to believe that there is nothing wrong with me and seeing that the mechanism underneath toxic shame made sense and had nothing to do with how good or bad I am as a person, began to give me the guts to start trying new things. It it began to give me the guts to consider the possibility of tolerating the experience of toxic shame, even for one second, because I knew I had the science in my head that told me I was going to have to, if I wanted a way out, if I wanted to kind of un, you know, unentangle myself from the grip of toxic shame, I was going to have to eventually begin to tolerate the experience of toxic shame in these teeny tiny little incremental doses. But there was no way I was on board for that without understanding what toxic shame really is. That helped me tolerate the intensity of the sensations. That helped me believe that it would be over eventually, that it wouldn't last forever, right? And all of this information ultimately led to me creating a new relationship with shame. All behavior makes sense, right? One of my very first podcast episodes is No Behavior is Maladaptive, which maybe isn't the best title for a podcast episode or a blog, Um, but it's one of the core foundations 
of my beliefs and the work that I do. So if you're new here and you haven't heard that podcast episode, I have no idea what number it is off the top of my head, but I know it was one of my first ones. Go look for it. No behaviors, maladaptive. And there's also a blog article that you can get at robingobel.com slash maladaptive. I think that's what it is. You guys can tell I'm really, really quite organized here with all of this, huh? All behavior makes sense. Shame makes sense when we understand what's underneath the shame. Shame making sense doesn't mean that it confirms there's something wrong with me or you. Actually, for me, shame and making sense confirmed the opposite. It confirmed that indeed there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. And not only was there nothing wrong with me, but my nervous system by turning to the response of toxic shame was simply adapting in exactly the way it believed was best. And then I learned how to actually say thank you, to have gratitude profound. I mean, if you had told me and I was reading, um, Dr. Brown's, you know, the gifts of imperfection, 10, 11, 12 years ago, however long ago that was that one day I would be looking at this experience that I wasn't yet labeling toxic shame. I just only knew it as a felt sense experience. And I'd be saying, thank you to it. That sounds mind blowing to me. I would have I would have rolled my eye. To be honest with you, I would have scoffed at you, rolled my eyes at you. I would have had a response that wasn't, it was, it probably would have been a shaming response is actually probably what would have happened because that's what shame does. Shame does these tricky things that has us interacting with other people in ways that can kind of poke at and, and, and uh, bring up their shame, you know, like eye rolling, things like that. I would have never believed it. And I also want to be clear, like I am not taking this kumbaya toxic positivity path here. Absolutely not. Right. I am able to sit in a place where I'm, you know, truly able to offer sometimes, not all the time, gratitude for this very adaptive part of my nervous system because I have done intensely hard and intensely healing work that was not fun at all times and to have worked hard and have, you know, really increased my um, connection to self and my integration, which has allowed me to take a step back from the experience of shame instead of being flooded in it. And then connect with it with, with compassion and knowing that compassion is a necessary ingredient for anything to be changed really gave me a lot of motivation to figure out how I could find true compassion, not toxic positivity, but true, real compassion. They have very different feelings to them. And of course, understanding the neurobiology of toxic shame wasn't everything I needed, but it was something I needed in order to allow the other things in. Things like believing the reflection in my therapist and of lots of other people in my life was offering me. Can I believe the reflection that they were offering me, that there was indeed nothing wrong with me, that I was you know, a delightful person who didn't always act very good, right? Kind of like everyone else. That, that it was okay 
to enjoy play and pleasure, that I could wander into the depths of exploring shame in order to heal that shame. And I would be okay. I wouldn't die from it. You may be hearing yourself reflected to you so far in this podcast, or maybe your clients, or maybe your child, or maybe all of those. Parenting kids impacted by trauma often means parenting kids who experience deep, deep shame. You hear words out of their mouth that shock you. Things like, I hate myself. I wish I was dead. I don't deserve to live. I ruin everything. Sometimes shame gets projected out too. And so instead of, I hate myself, what we might hear from our kids are, I hate you. I wish you were dead. You ruin everything. Sometimes shame gets expressed as intense perfectionism, extreme anxiety and intolerance for mistakes in yourself or in others, right? So untangling the devastating impact of toxic shame takes a lot of time, a lot of patience and a lot of bravery. And sometimes y'all, it's just too much. It's hard, hard work to wade into the territory of shame. And it's okay to say it's just too much right now, or it's just too hard right now. It's baffling as it sounds, shame is protective. It believes it's protecting you from something even worse. So that means it must believe that whatever it's protecting you from or your child from or your client from is pretty bad. Over the years, I've come to have a much deeper appreciation of Dr. Brown's work on shame resilience. I've watched her and her work evolve. I've watched how she speaks about shame in a deeper, more embodied way. And I'm also changed a lot myself, right? So what she says and and her ideas land on me in a very different way. So I don't know, maybe she hasn't evolved at all, although that feels impossible to me that we've all evolved in the last 11, 12 years. and, And she's not an exception to that. So I assume her work has evolved and has gotten deeper and has gotten more embodied, but I'm also really owning the fact that maybe what's changed the most is is myself. And so I'm able to receive it in a different way. There is just so much goodness in the gifts of imperfection and shame resilience tools, a lot of goodness. But I also know that I wasn't alone in feeling like, wow, I can't even get shame resilience right. Learning about toxic shame was the missing step for me. Like I needed that piece first. I needed to learn about and understand the neurobiology piece. I needed some left brain information that helped it make sense before I could risk doing anything that would allow these like shame resilience tools and practices to actually matter. Last winter, I did a short workshop on the neurobiology of toxic shame. I called it why we hate ourselves. I wasn't sure how it would be to tackle this topic in a virtual format, but I was feeling so much passionate about it at that time that I decided I had to try. 
it ended up being actually a really great afternoon and we had a pretty fun time, which is, I think, kind of funny with thinking about the fact that it was a workshop on the neurobiology of toxic shame, but it was pretty fun. So I'm offering the workshop again, but in a slightly different format. There's pre-recorded videos. In fact, they're the videos from the December workshop. I edited them out and, you know, pieced it together in a way that I think is the most impactful and the best use of your time. And then there's three live meetings where we'll get together for discussion and questions and some journaling. So the workshop is broken down into three very distinct topics. And one week we'll get together to discuss the first part. The second week we'll get together to discuss the second part. And the third week, of course, we'll get together to discuss the third part. And part of the course, in addition to a big packet of handouts, and places to take notes are journaling prompts for some self-reflection to help feel more connected to the material, to get more embodied with the material, to really allow the material to kind of sink in to your own neurobiology. And in these live group meetings where we'll have, we'll be able to connect and, and see one another. And again, ask questions, explore the material. I'm planning to set aside some time for us to be individually doing some of the journaling props, but within kind of the safety and connection of a group format. I'm super excited to see how this is going to unfold with a different kind of format than what I did in December designed with intentionality for some more connection and discussion. And I'd love to have you. So the first live meeting is Thursday, April 15th. And this podcast isn't even airing until Tuesday, April 13th. So it's very possible that you're hearing this podcast after the first live meetings of the neurobiology of toxic chain workshop. So you what, what what can happen is you can you log in and you watch the pre-recorded videos and then we have these three live meetings on the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th. I think that's I think that's right. So if you're hearing this before April 15th, you can still register, watch part one. It's only like 26 minutes and then make the first meeting. If you're hearing this podcast after April 15th, come and check out the website anyway. I might leave registration open even after the first live meeting. I honestly really haven't even decided yet. So the website's robingobel.com slash why we hate. And if it's already closed, I will be running this workshop again in the future. I'm feeling so, so, so connected to it. And also just enjoying offering a workshop that's a little bit different. It's not only for therapists. It's not only for parents of kids impacted by trauma. It's really a workshop for anyone who would say, I'm curious to learn more about toxic shame and why toxic shame is so sticky. Of course, head over to my website to explore all the free resources I have available for you. Blogs, more podcasts, and I have two different free video series. The first video series is a three-part series on trauma, memory, and behavior. So it really explores the neurobiology of memory science, but in a way that matters to you and makes sense and only goes into stuff that you would care about and how memory is impacted by trauma and how this could be underneath some of the really difficult behaviors that you're experiencing in your home or 
you know, in your office with the clients that you work with. So you can find that three-part video series at robingobel.com slash video series. And then there's also a video series that takes you through a look at the three questions you'll want to ask yourself when faced with challenging behavior, behaviors like opposition or defiance, lying, stealing, ignoring, refusal. So there's this three-part series about asking, you know, what are the three things I really want to ask myself when I'm facing these difficult behaviors for my kid? Because it's the answers to those questions that are going to help you know, what do I do next? So you can find that video series at robingobel.com slash masterclass. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed to Parenting After Trauma with Robin Gobel in your podcast player, go hit that subscribe button. Every week when a new episode airs, it will just magically show up. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you are out there doing in the world, caring for kids, changing lives, and spreading the healing power of the relational neurosciences. I'll see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or 
You can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.